I think that there's more to Christian marriage and there's more to the the marriages of church leaders than simply have you ever had an affair or have you ever been divorced? There's more to it than that. It's whether or not we are embodying the gospel in our marriages. Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Each week I visit with Wes McAdams, minister and author, and together we explore biblical passages and topics. I hope you enjoy the study. All right, Wes, we're back. Good to be back. And we've got a new question. This is from Gala, and she references 1 Timothy 3.2. Can a man be divorced and serve as an elder or deacon, or must he be married only once in order to lead the church? Does this also include a widower, or can a man lead if his divorce is scriptural or past wife or wives are deceased? Okay, well, nothing like getting real controversial right uh-huh. off the bat. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's go. Let's just go right to the scripture that uh, Gala references, which is First Timothy chapter three. Um, uh, we could also look at Titus chapter one, and we may do that in a second. But um, so so let's start in First Timothy three. And verse 1, Paul says, and I, of course he's writing to Timothy, um, who's a young preacher who's working with the church in Ephesus, and so he's writing to Timothy and instructing him about um, the installation, the appointment of, of overseers, uh, shepherds, elders, however you want to put that, bishops. Uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then he goes on to talk about deacons and qualifications uh, for for them. Um, And so Gala specifically is asking about verse 2 and asking about whether or not, uh, what what, what this phrase means. And I I think that's really at the, the heart of of this question. And, and so it's, Paul says in verse two, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now it's interesting that in the Greek, Hebrew is similar, that um, the word for husband or wife um, is um, the same as the word for man or woman. And so it's just context that has to tell us like, you're, when you talk about my woman or your woman, you're talking about your wife or my wife. Right. Um, and, and so here it could be the husband of one wife, or it could be quite literally the man of one woman. Um, now the question is like, what does that mean? Like the man of one woman or the husband of one wife? Um, and, and Gayla brings up a lot of great questions. And, uh, and frankly, I would say, well, the text doesn't say, you know, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't answer all of those specifically. We've got to, um, with any passage of Scripture, we have to look at what it says, look at what the, the gist and the, the gist of it is and what the, uh, the author's train of thought is. Like, what, what, what is he really trying to get across? And then we, we can get 
down to the specifics of application and say, okay, well, how does this apply? And what about this situation? And what about that situation? What I think we have to be careful about, first of all, here is that we we turn this into a checklist. And, and that's one of my big concerns about the way that we typically talk about and enforce might be a good word, um, these qualifications of elders and deacons. Um, it's not a checklist. Um, and, and there's lots of nuance. There's lots of um, room to apply and interpret. I mean, again, I mean, it says things like not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, mm. not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Like, I mean, I've never, I've never heard anybody get real, you know, specific on, well, what does that mean? Not a lover of money. Like, I mean, like how much money and what yeah. does that mean? Like, what if somebody's a banker or what if somebody's an accountant or what <laughs> if somebody, their job. right? Yeah. What if they like their job and they're an accountant and their whole job revolves around money? I've never once heard anybody say that. I've never heard somebody say, well, this person is this very successful businessman. So maybe he's not qualified to be an elder. In fact, we tend to say you're a very successful businessman. Right. You'd probably be a great elder, you know? And so, and, and I'm, I'm not, by the way, saying that, somebody, that they are a lover of money. What I am saying is that you have to look at their life and, yeah. and he's really not making that sort of a checklist that is like, well, people with these jobs, they're out because they, you know, no, that's not what he's saying. He's, say, he's describing the character and the qualities, those are the words I like. We, we could say qualifications, and you know, even the heading of my Bible says that, qualifications for overseers. But I really like qualities, and I like characteristics, because that's really, when you look at the big picture of the context, when you look at everything that he says, both to Timothy and to another young preacher, Titus, um, that's working with several congregations on the island of Crete, um, and, and he he's really talking about characteristics. He's talking about the type of a man who makes a good shepherd and overseer. Um, and, and, and what does that type of person look like? It looks like gentleness and it looks like not being a lover of money. Can you be a, a banker and not be a lover of money? Absolutely. Not be right. greedy. And yes, absolutely. Cause it's about your character. It's about the, the quality of your life. It's about, you know, similarly with, passages like uh, Galatians chapter 5. I bring up the fruit of the Spirit nearly every week, I think, but, you know, it, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's it's this kind of thing. But then there's also another layer that even goes beyond just the general character and characteristics, because a lot of these could be said of every Christian. Not, yeah. None of us should be lovers of money, greedy, quarrelsome. Um, none of us should be violent. We should all be gentle. None of us should be drunkards. Uh, but then he really gets specific on some of these things about like their household. Um, and, and, and I really get the idea and the impression, both in what he says about deacons and what he says here about overseers, that it's very important that a an elder especially, be somebody who is proven, who has proven their character, who has proven the quality of their character, who has proven their ability to lead and to oversee. And that's this entire function and role and job within the church is to oversee and shepherd. And he, he gives us the idea that um, the way that they, quote, manage Verse 5, if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He, he, so this even goes beyond just 
he's filled with the fruit of the spirit. He um, is a gentle and 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 not greedy person. He he's a great spiritual person. Yes, all of those things should be true, but also he should be a person who manages his household well and who's proven himself to be a capable leader of overseeing his family and his household because that's the proving ground for how he shepherds in in the church and and right. cares for the as Paul puts it the household of God um, and God's church um, and so I, I think it's incredibly important to look at how how does this person run his his family and his house and so part of that is this idea of being the husband of one wife I I honestly think that that probably the most logical first layer of application, and, and we're probably not going to like this, um, but but it's it's a person who doesn't have a plural marriage, who doesn't have multiple marriages, who doesn't have multiple wives or concubines. Now, I mean, that would have been a fairly common thing in the culture. I'm not saying it's a common thing in the church. Hopefully it wasn't a common thing in the church. Obviously, it's not something that would be a good thing. Right. Um, but it would it would have been uh, something that would have been part of the ancient world, a man who had multiple wives. And apparently, that's not a good thing. Um, and it's not something that an overseer in the church should should be a part of or or have that he should he should be the man of one woman. Literally, that's what the phrase means. The man of one woman. So he should have one woman, not multiple women, not concubines, not girlfriends, not, you know, um, that he should she he should have one woman, not and and I think the emphasis is on the one woman, the one wife. Um but that, of course, that brings up a whole lot of other questions. But I, I think that these other questions that are brought up, things like um, divorce and then remarriage or even the death of a spouse and then remarriage, um, I mean, those bring up questions that ought to go beyond, and our interpretation of those things have to go beyond just this one phrase, because this one phrase just means this one thing. Like, it, yeah. it just... Is, it's a very small phrase. Paul doesn't nuance it. He doesn't list off a whole lot of, well, I mean this and not that. And by the way, this has been debated at least since the, I was looking at some of my commentaries earlier, um, at least since the fourth century, they've highly debated, like, what did Paul mean by this? And what if somebody, you know, their spouse dies? And I mean, they, they asked all of these same questions. So it's not like Gala or anybody today is asking weird questions, because right. this is these are questions that have been asked for, for you know, over a thousand years. Um, but I think we have to understand that he he says he says this one very small phrase. Um, we have to use the rest of the Bible to understand well what what could that mean or what should not not what not necessarily what does that mean but but what does that mean for appointing elders today? Right. And and we have to look at passages like Matthew nineteen. Like what did Jesus say about? the morality of marriage and and if somebody is the kind of person that says i don't want to be married to you anymore and i found a younger woman over here and she's prettier and i like her better and i'm going to go marry her jesus is not okay with that yeah and that is not consistent with being a follower of jesus and you you can't do that that that's not okay as followers of jesus and if somebody is doing that kind of thing and if that if they've proven that that's their character and they've proven this is the kind of person they are then they are not fit 
to lead and oversee and shepherd God's church, God's assembly, God's people, God's household. If if you are going to be um, an overseer of the church, you you can't be the kind of person that drops your wife for another woman. Yeah. Period. End of discussion. That 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 can't be the kind of men that we're choosing to to lead us and and to uh, to shepherd us. And then you even think about passages like Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul says there's a mystery to, to marriage and there's a mystery to Jesus and the church. There's a similarity between marriage and, and, uh, and Jesus and the church. And he says that really marriage, a man and his wife, is a, a living parable, a living image of Jesus and the church and the way that a husband loves and sacrifices himself for his wife ought to reflect the way that Jesus loves and offers himself for his wife and the way that a wife submits to and respects her husband ought to be a living embodiment and example a parable of the way that the church respects and submits to Jesus. And so every marriage, not just elders or shepherds, uh, but every marriage ought to be a living parable of Jesus and the church, the husband and the wife, and the way they love and sacrifice, submit to and respect for each other. These things should be lived out in every marriage. And if that's true of every marriage, then how much more so of those we appoint to places of leadership? So... (laughs) It goes beyond just, has he ever gotten divorced? Is he the kind of guy that would leave his wife for another woman? Like, it's beyond that. Like, we could satisfy that with a check mark or being like, wow, yeah, I guess he's only been married one time and, you know, just check that off. But I think we ought to, we have to go deeper than that. We have to say, um, you know, if Paul is very concerned that the men that Timothy and Titus choose to oversee and to shepherd these these churches, Ephesus and the and the churches in Crete, and and you would assume would have been the case when Paul went to Galatia or wherever and appointed elders in every community. That he was looking not only for how many times have you been married, you know, he wasn't just satisfying a checklist. I thought you were asking me first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean he wasn't just satisfying a checklist. He was. Um, he was saying, who are the kind of men who are going to, going to embody this mystery yeah. of Jesus and the church? And, and I, I don't want this to seem like a cop-out for the question, but, but it, goes, it goes much deeper than, than just that. Not because the phrase, the man of one woman, <laughs> it doesn't mean that. It's not like it's packed in there, but it's packed into the gospel. Yeah. And the bigger picture of everything he's saying about shepherds and overseers is that their their family life should be a reflection of the it is a reflection of the way that they're going to lead and manage in the church. And right. and there, you know, I mean, let, let's face it, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives when we're younger and and we've really been transformed since then and we've become different people. Um, and and it, unfortunately, it may mean that because of the mistakes that I made in the past, I may be forgiven and I may be in good standing with God, um, but I can't serve as a shepherd or an overseer uh, because I, I, I missed out on my opportunity to prove myself yeah. with my family when I was younger. And, and there are, I know men that are in that situation and it's okay. Like, that's okay. It doesn't mean that they're any less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that they're a second-class citizen because 
they made some mistakes and now they've been forgiven and you know their situation now is is you know is better and it is good but but there's a lot of mess there you know that's that's okay but but it it may mean that that they're not the people that we set in these leadership positions um and and we, we kind of have to be okay with that we have to be okay with the fact that leaders are held to a different standard in a sense not like salvation sense right. but in the sense that we're going to we're going to lift these put these men, I shouldn't say lift, but we're going to put these men, and in the church it's kind of an upside-down <laughs> leadership uh, structure in that the leaders are actually the servants, mm-hmm. and and they are, they are put into a position where they become an example, not of perfection by any stretch of the imagination, but of leadership. Yeah. This, is what, this is what it looks like to embody the gospel at home. This is what it looks like to embody gospel principles, and, and some people are fit for, qualified for those leadership positions, and some people aren't because they haven't been a one a one woman man. Right. Um, you know, and, and maybe they are now and that and that's good, but they haven't been in the past or they they haven't led well in the past and that has consequences today and you know and and yes, that those kind of things happen and and that's okay. It, it, and it's okay, I think, in the church that we tell people, we love you and we want you here and we're glad you're part of this family. Um, but but these these other men have a long track record of of leadership and embodying the gospel at home. and we're going to allow them to use that for the glory of God and the good of the church. And we're going to find other ways for for you to serve because you're you're not yet qualified or you're not now qualified um, to to lead in the in these ways. Pardon this very brief interruption, but we want to make you aware of a very special opportunity to take your Bible study to the next level by investing in some of the very best Bible study software available. Logos Bible Software has partnered with us to give our listeners a special deal. Check it out at radicallychristian.com slash logos. That's radicallychristian.com slash L-O-G-O-S. Now back to the Bible study. So kind of going off of that thought, part of the question references if a man has a divorce that is scriptural so maybe it wasn't their choice um also kind of another thought i had um that i've i've heard brought up at at times at at other churches where i've uh witnessed the elder the elder picking process um unbelieving children yeah so if somebody has an unbelieving child maybe maybe they maybe they have three kids that you know, still go to church and, and one that's, you know, doesn't go to church as much or maybe yeah. at all. Yeah. And then that gets brought up as almost like a, a, a technicality has a yeah. negative yeah. connotation, sure. but sure, but that's sure. kind of how I think of it. Yeah. Like, well, they didn't, you know, they didn't, you know, just not teach this child the gospel. Right. right. You know, that it's this child grew up and they made their decisions. Yeah. And yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, th- th- both of those things are really good. And, and I think that and, and I'm glad you brought all of that up to say at least this, that that I think a lot of this has to be handled on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. That, that we can't just, you know, have this general way of, of talking about things. Because sometimes, you know, I, I, I dislike the phrase scriptural divorce. Yeah. Um, and I understand what it means. I always think of Jesus talking about divorce when, right, when right. he said, when he's like, you, it, you shouldn't yeah. have had the option in the first place. Right. right. Well, yeah. I, it, uh, so, 
I, I think that sometimes there's a situation where someone's spouse left them. Yeah. And it was really no fault of the person who was left. Right. Um, and they were really left out to dry and they were really, um, they were just done wrong. Um, and, and there's no reason, I don't think, this is Wes's personal opinion, I, I don't think that that in and of itself make someone disqualified yeah. um, to serve as a shepherd. Um, however, there it, it's not just that cut and dry. You know, I mean, if if I am a jerk to my wife yeah. and, and she leaves me for someone else, mm-hmm. is she right for leaving me for someone else? No. But am I innocent in the in this question? Right. No. And and so I mean again I, I think that there's more to Christian marriage and there's more to the the marriages of church leaders than simply have you ever had an affair or have you ever been divorced? There's more to it than that. It's whether or not we are embodying the gospel in our marriages. And 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 there are some people who are embodying the gospel in their marriage and their spouse leaves them. And there are some times where a spouse leaves because they're not embodying the gospel in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and Paul doesn't break all of that out for us. I think we have to use wisdom and we have to use discernment. Um, and the same is true with, with um, you know, children. And, you know, and, and that brings up a whole nother issue. We could spend a whole nother podcast talking about uh, faithful children. I actually did a lecture at Fried Hardeman University about that. But uh, part of it is the fact that we tend to think about children growing up and moving off. Like, that, that's how we tend to think mm. that our job as parents is to raise them and then send them out into the world. That's not how the ancient world thought of parenting. Right. Um, in, in the ancient world, especially sons, uh, you raised your sons and they stayed. Like, they stayed and they, they were part of your household until you died. And then the oldest son, you know, and then they would have their household. And so... I mean, we really, we raise very independent children, or we we try to, and then send them out into the world. Um, But when Paul speaks of households, um, and a lot of these men that would be, the the men that they would be choosing from to be shepherds, overseers of congregations, would have been older men who had, as a part of their household, not only like their wife and children that were at home— but also like their grown children and then their children's children and maybe some nieces and nephews and maybe some servants. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about a, a large household mm. that they were overseeing. Um, it very well could be, not every time. I mean, who knows what, what each household was made up of. But in the Greco-Roman world and in the Jewish communities, um, it wasn't uncommon for um, the the older patriarch of a family to have his older grown children with their wife and children as a part of his household. And so, again, as we've talked about on podcasts past, the word pistis that he used for believing children, we we translate as believing children, means faithful children. And there's a big debate about, well, does he mean like faithful to him? Like as this overseer of the family that has this huge household, I mean, do you have loyal children or do you have disloyal children who are out doing things very different than the way you would have them live their life? And in that honor-shame culture, if you had grown children who were 
disobeying and disregarding your instructions and living a very different life than the way you instructed them to, that would bring shame upon you. Right. Which is why parent, like Jewish parents who didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah and their grown children who started to follow Jesus the Messiah— it brought shame on them in the community that now they had these children that were following this Jesus guy, yeah. and they would they would ostracize them and kick them out of the family because it was bringing shame upon the family. Hmm. And the, the opposite would be true. If a Jewish leader of a household began to follow Jesus the Messiah, he would, expe- he would expect all of his children to also become Jesus followers. And if they didn't become Jesus followers because of his leadership and because of the truth of the gospel, then it would bring shame upon him. And and so part of being a good leader is that you're able to keep your family loyal and and faithful, pistis. That's uh, interesting. And, and so a lot of people ask, well, does it mean like believers, like believers in Jesus, like faithful to Jesus or faithful to the Father? I would say it probably means both, that it's as a follower of Jesus— you, you, if you're leading a large household, then your children are going to be faithful to Jesus as well, because you're leading them in that direction. Um, at, but now we live in a very different culture that kids grow up and move off, and you know, and and don't live under their parents' leadership at all, and it doesn't really bring shame upon you know if you're a you know a farmer and your kid goes off to make movies or goes off to you know work in a factory. Nobody's like ah. Oh, that 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 kid, he went off living in Detroit now, or you know yeah. whatever. I mean, nobody you know nobody thinks that anymore. So it's just a it's a very different culture. But but I think still yet there's a there's a place to be said that leaders in the church should be people that lead their families towards Jesus. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. So again, I mean, with both of these questions about the wife or the the children, that there's some cultural layers that, that have to be interpreted and understood. Uh, we don't live in a culture where people have multiple wives. Like that, that right. doesn't happen in the United States uh, very often, that sometimes, I guess. Uh, but nor do we have big households where adult children tend to stay at home. But I think the general principles there still hold. And the main thing is that if somebody is going to be a leader within the church, then it, then he has to be the type of man that's a leader at home, that manages and oversees and shepherds and leads his family towards Jesus and embodies the gospel in his marriage and in his parenting. And that can still be true of somebody who's widowed and remarried. I don't know why being widowed and and, and right. marrying a second time has anything to do with what Paul would be talking about, about being the man of one woman. But if somebody leaves his wife for someone else or somebody's wife leaves him because he's a jerk, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think all of those things and all of the millions of questions that we could have about that, I think all of those have bearing on whether or not that person is qualified and has the qualities and characteristics that should be present within someone who shepherds in Jesus' church. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.